Hey, it's Pastor Sam. I want to thank you for tuning into this week's sermon, which is from our current sermon series called Our Aim, as we look at the mission of Sacred City Church, which is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. You can find more information about Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois at scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 111 through 112. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright, in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who participate, practice it, have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affair with justice. For the righteous will never be moved, He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Um, each year, we this, this first Sunday of the year, we do kind of the same thing. Okay. Um, it's a bit of a familiar routine. We, we typically break from whatever sermon series we are in the middle of. Currently, we're studying the book of Nehemiah. Uh, We take a break from that to set aside time to do three things. One, uh, we want to celebrate our birthday. Six years ago, Sacred City Moline was commissioned by Sacred City Davenport to jump across the river to plant a church. Um, And we just want to thank God for the last six years of his grace and his provision of of sustaining us, of keeping us, of growing us in all the different uh, capacities. And so we want to celebrate that fact that we're still here. Praise God. Yeah. 
And as we celebrate that milestone, we, we also take an advantage of, of this moment in time to look back at the prior year, to see uh, what God has done in 2022, celebrate the evidences of grace that have been around us in this church and things that we've seen, the fruits, the joys of gospel ministry uh, in this past year. And as we look back in the last year, we always take a look forward. Um, We ask the Lord to to set our eyes on what's ahead, what the Lord has for us in in 2023. And as we do that, we resituate ourselves uh, before the mission of Sacred City Church. Um, we, We don't change our mission. We're not adapting our mission. We're going back to it and asking the Lord to show us what it looks like in this year to be better at making disciples, planting churches, and renewing uh, the city. And while this format, this sort of three-prong approach to these first Sundays of the year are pretty familiar, a bit of a tradition, uh, for the very first time ever, I am preaching not one chapter of the Bible, but two. So it's going to be fun. Uh, we're taking a look at Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. And, and both of these, if you just look at face value, um, th- there's a link of these two psalms. Um, we don't know exactly who wrote them. Um, there's some speculations that it's the same guy that wrote them and just different circumstances or whatever. Um, but there's debate about who wrote it and when it was written. But these two psalms are, are linked um, in the fact that they're both uh, of the same literary genre. So they're, they're acrostic poems. That's what the Psalms are. They're prayers, they're poems, they're songs that are meant to be said. It's, it's, it's God giving us a, a vocabulary so that we know how to speak back to God. So God gives us, he speaks to us through his word and then he teaches us how to speak back to him through these poems. And these poems are acrostic, meaning that each line begins with the next letter of the alphabet. But if you look at your Bible, that won't really make sense because you're seeing like a T, then an S, and then a T and a Y and an F. And you're like, how is this? It's because it's written in Hebrew. So the Hebrew language follows this. It's, it's in this, the Hebrew language has a sort of format. So the, the format of the poem links them together. But the other thing that distinguishes them, that keeps them, or one of, of a couple other things that we'll get into, is that both, uh, both Psalms start the same. They both start out with a command, praise the Lord, right? From the, from the depths of your being, praise the Lord. Now, The thing that's interesting here is that uh, these two psalms point us in different directions. Um, They're they're here to help us praise the Lord, um, both looking forward and looking back. Psalm 111 helps us look back. It, It teaches us to recount the wonders that God has done by his mighty hand, to remember where God has brought us from and where he's brought us to. And then Psalm 112 actually has this way of, of looking to the future. Um, not in a way it's like some sort of, you know, crystal ball that tells you what's in the future, but it situates us based on God's past grace and, and, and provisions so that we can enter with confidence and conviction the future that awaits us. And so with this compatibility, this sort of yin-yang of the past and the, the I don't know if that's a PC to say, but this, this complementary um, Psalm 111 looking back, Psalm 112 looking forward, uh, it's a perfect fit for what we're doing today. And so um, I want to invite you to, to take a look back and let's look forward to what God has for us. And we'll start out here in Psalm 111 with verses one through four. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. I will give thanks, praise the Lord, he says. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord. 
studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. As we begin the psalm, we see that praise and thanksgiving erupt. It says, praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord. He links these two things, praise and thanksgiving, together. And the thing that generates thanksgiving and praise is remembering the works of the Lord. And what he says is, there's something special about what God has done. There's something marvelous about the works of the Lord. They are full of of splendor and majesty. It's a product of God's righteousness, of his his goodness to his people. And these wondrous works, this righteous activity of God, forever will be boasted of, that they endure forever. Generation after generation will recount the goodness and grace of God. That's what we see. God's grace and mercy is actually what provokes this remembrance in the first part. If it weren't for God's grace and mercy, we would we'd be so short-sighted, we'd have short-term memory problems, just never re- be able to recount. But in God's grace and mercy, he provokes the memory of God's past grace and mercy, which is what generates these wonderful works of God. Now, as a psalmist writes, um, it's undoubted, that he has a multitude of God's mighty works in mind. And so we gotta ask ourselves, what are, what are these wonderful works of God? Well, Psalm, uh, the Psalm 111 goes on in verse five to tell us, it shows, it says, he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. So he's, he's saying God provides for his people. God keeps his promises with his people. He's shown his people the power of his work. So God has not left us in a place of weakness or, or vulnerability, but God has used his power in his works in giving them, giving his people, the inheritance of the nations. He says the works of, of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts, all his commandments are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. See, what we're seeing here is the psalmist is recounting God providing the basic necessities for the Christian life. God has given food and sustenance, provisions. God has kept his promises, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness and wandering from him. God has poured out, oh, I can't breathe. God has poured out grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing on his people, blessing that you can't even fathom. And one of the things that the psalmist is sure to just give his extra oomph behind is the God's grace in giving his people the law. God's grace in giving his people commandments, precepts, ways to order and structure their life so that you live with the grain of God's design and not against it. But the crown jewel of God's wondrous works, the the works of power, is stated in verse 9 where he says, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The psalmist is recounting how God has not just put food on the table, but but prepared and provided for the deepest needs of humanity, a way to get back with God, reconciled to God in redemption. 
Now, as the psalmist lists these things out, there's undoubtedly some significant and, and really memorable Old Testament stories and events that his mind is going to as he lists these things out. It's not just a random day that, hey, thanks for bread on the table, which is worthy of saying thanks to God for, but something even greater. As he says, thank you, Lord, for providing for the people, he's thinking of the manna in the wilderness that God brought and laid on the ground for the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness. As he recalls the faithfulness and covenant-keeping nature of God, he's remembering the promises that were made to Abraham to be passed down from generation to generation. He's remembering how God had redeemed his people from Egyptian slavery. If not that, if that's not exactly what he's referencing, he's referring back to the leaning back from Babylonian exile. So all of these places where God has provided, he's brought redemption, he, he's given the law at Mount Sinai, right? God, his, his stable and sure way of navigating this world. And then as he boasts of the, the, the inheritance of the nations. We can't help but to think of, of God's people entering the promised land, the land that God had prepared for him, the land that they did nothing to deserve or earn or work toward. It's all these things, both great and small, that the psalmist is recounting and remembering and telling the people, don't lose sight of what God has done. Do not forget how God has brought us to this place, brought us to this moment. Now, one of the best ways to lose the next generation is to not tell them what God has done. It's to seal up the history books. It's to um, reduce these great stories of God's kindness and grace and provision to his people, to these moral teachings, just to be a better person. And so if we want to see generation upon generation continue to walk in the ways of the Lord, to love his precepts, to praise the Lord with their whole heart in the company of the upright then one of the primary keys to transmitting this praise and thanksgiving from generation to generation is to recount and remember the things of old. This is one of the distinctives of God's people, that we love history. Because history is, is just episode after episode of God doing wonderful things. If we want our kids to grow up in this way of praising and, and offering thanksgiving to God with their whole heart, we must catalog the mighty works, the mighty words of God through previous generations and our own, and then we must also pick up the pen and add to that list because God has not stopped his mighty works. We're told that the works of the Lord endure forever and God will forever keep revealing his splendor and his majesty through his great and mighty works that are continually being shown to us and so we can sit here and just survey the scriptures and say look at what God has done I mean the fact that we're here the fact that we have a reason to sing, the fact that we have hope in this broken and cursed world. 
We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us that, that God has made promises to, that have walked faithfully before their God, and they have brought us to this moment in God's grace. And God keeps going. And so we need to ask ourselves, what has God done as of late? What are the additions that we need to make to the list of God's wondrous works? And I think the first thing that I just, I can't believe is that this exists, that we're here. The existence of Sacred City Moline is undeniably a work of God's hand. 11 years ago, um, I don't know, 12 years ago, I was graduating from University of Northern Iowa with a degree in jazz and classical trombone and just field ripe of opportunities of career paths for me. I was a fresh graduate of UNI, and in my time at UNI, God stirred in my heart. God brought me to a desire um, where I wanted to spend the rest of my life following Jesus. The seeds that my parents had planted started producing fruit, loving the word of God, loving the people of God, the community God has put me in, a desire to be on mission, living so that other people would get to experience the grace and kindness of Jesus that I had experienced myself. And while I had some really great experiences with different churches along the way, one of the things that God just stirred in my heart, a big desire was to be part of a discipleship-driven and missionally engaged gospel-centered church. A church that loved the word of God, that obeyed the word of God, and longed to make Jesus famous in whatever city it was in. And through prayer and reading and study, and a little bit of peer pressure, I ended up in the Quad Cities, moving further away from my parents' home. They live on the other side of the state of Iowa, moved to the Quad Cities even further away. I recently was just engaged. I left my wife, or well, future wife. She still had a year of school left. I left her up at UNI, and I, I felt the Lord had calling, was calling me to be part of a church that hadn't yet started, church being Sacred City Davenport under the leadership of Pastor Justin Dean. And I moved here and I experienced um, the Lord grow me tremendously. Um, my understanding of the gospel increased. My understanding of what it meant to be uh, part of a community, to live life on life, to, to share struggles and joys together, to live on mission. God grew me and God also grew the church. And those five years at Sacred City Davenport, I, I saw God do some pretty incredible things. Um, lives changed, marriages restored, um, people who are far from God brought into the family of God adopted. And as I saw this, I, I started feeling this excitement, this, this sense of, of calling into the ministry, hoping that, wishing, praying that God would do something like that again, perhaps in a, a new place. And as the church grew in Davenport, we said, hey, from the beginning, we, our, our mission was to make disciples, plant churches, renew the city. And so at 28 years old, um, I was sent out with my wife. At that time, we had two boys and about 40 people. Some of you are in this room. 
sent out from Sacred City Davenport to come over to the dark side of Illinois here to plant Sacred City Moline and ask the Lord to do again what he had done previously. And by God's grace, he, he answered prayer, sometimes not the way that you hoped it would be. It wasn't always up and to the right, still isn't up and to the right. There's been lots of heartache and difficulties and challenges, but through it all, God has provided for us, God has sustained us, and God has grown his church. And after six years, we're still here. And in these six years, I've had a front row seat to see some of the mighty works of God. Those, those works repeated again and again. And so let me just give account of, of a few of them that I've, I've seen here in the past year. One of the things that I'm most excited about in this church is that we are more well-nourished by the word of God than we've ever been before. I've, I've seen so many people, whether it be the Feast to Flourish Bible reading plans that we keep rolling this year, the Bible seminars that we've done or, or these um, biblical worldview seminars that we started and will continue on into the next year. I've just seen the appetite in this church for the word of God increase. We've spent time in books like Ezra and Nehemiah that give us great courage of what, what we're building here. Not, not just a nice Sunday gathering where we show up, but, but really building a community that transforms the city by the grace of Jesus. We spent time in the Psalms, and here we are again today. We've talked about our, the mission of Sacred City, the, our identities and rhythms in the gospel, what it looks like to do ministry together. We, we did a sermon series called Cruciform. The way to live is to die to self. And through each of these series, God has provoked us towards growth in a unique way, that of self-sacrifice, that of conviction and courage and boldness, taking risks, but also in ways of, of resting in God's grace and kindness. So I'm very thankful that together we, we have dove into the word of God. And as we've been in the word of God, you see the fruit of that. Our missional communities are in as, as healthy of a spot as they've ever been. We see people day in, day out, week in, week out, loving and serving and caring for one another, being there in the joys to celebrate and through the trials and difficulties. I've seen lots of gospel growth in people. Strongholds, the chains of sin, of the slavery of sin broken of false belief shattered, replaced with true belief. We've got to celebrate five baptisms this year, three parent-child dedications. God has been kind to bring new people to our community, people living in community and on mission with us. And the work that God has done here um, isn't isolated to us. God's been using us to support church planting in places near and far, getting to support my friend Nick, who's in Clinton, Iowa, doing good gospel work. We're, we're encouraging him, supporting him in that work. Uh, the work that we support in Mwamba, Kenya. I mean, thousands of dollars given to advance church planting and kingdom growth. I've got to see people step up into new roles. It's encouraging to watch people take more responsibility 
to, to, to take ownership of what it is God is doing, whether that's be so, somebody joining uh, our kids' ministry team or coming up to the band or joining our liturgy reading teams. Very grateful for um, Abby being on part-time staff. She's really helping our church function well. We still have two elder candidates that are, are chipping away here, coming down the home stretch. We've seen new guys stand behind the pulpit and deliver sermons that are glorifying to Jesus. We've had new MC leaders, new Porterbrook students. There's just been this constant step forward of, of asking God, what's the next thing you have for us? And we've seen reformation, little blips of reformation taking place here in the church, here in your homes. I've, I've found a tremendous joy in watching husbands and wives submit themselves to the word of God and assume the proper roles in biblical patriarchy, biblical householding. I've seen families count the cost to invest in what is going to last for eternity. Taking schooling seriously, families investing in homeschooling or Christian school, the desire to give our kids a Christian education. All of these sacrifices are, are a product of the word of God impacting the lives of his people. And so those are things that I've seen, things that maybe you can't measure with a scale or you can't ascribe a number to, but I see the work that God is doing and each one is a mini miracle, right? For God to do that, for God to bring us to a new place shows us that God is at work. And as I list these things off, it could very easily be misinterpreted as I'm bragging. Just standing here saying, look out how good, we gotta figure it out, look at how good we are. But all you need to do is be around for a little bit to find out that there's nothing special about us here. We're pretty average individuals here, myself included. In fact, there's nothing spectacular about me. We're not boasting in ourselves. The Apostle Paul tells us that if we are to boast, let it be in the Lord. And so our boast is in the Lord and his work, his doing. And it's all because Jesus is alive. God is still working in his church. And it is honoring to God to recount what he has done. It is fitting for us to praise God, to give thanks for these things, to not take them for granted. Because all of these things are pointing to the fact that God has brought fullness of redemption. By the blood of Christ, things are being made new, big and small. And verse one tells us that there, there's no better place than to give thanks and a praise to God for his mighty works than here in the congregation, to boast of what Lord, the Lord has done. And so we wanna do that. We wanna look back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the highs. Thank you, Lord, for the lows of this past year. Thank you for how your glory and your majesty and your grace has been displayed anew among these people. And as we look back with gratitude, Right, that, that's Psalm 111 points us back to give thanks to praise the Lord. At the same time, we wanna look forward. We're gonna praise the Lord in both directions. We're gonna praise the Lord for his past year's grace and look forward to the new year with expectancy that God will again shower us with his kindness. And we ask, 
Lord, do it again, do more. More baptisms, more, more children, multiply more missional communities, new leaders. Help us to continue making disciples, planting churches, and renewing the city. Grow us in generosity. Teach us to welcome the stranger. Give us a zeal for your name. Help us to worship you. Give us wisdom. Now, these are all things that, as we look forward, we, we hope, we long that the Lord would produce these in us. But we have to see here, verse 10, is that all these things that we look forward to is a product of one thing, and that is the fear of the Lord. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. This wisdom, this idea of wisdom is not just head knowledge, but the ability to navigate the world, to live with the grain. And what unlocks that ability is to have a fear of the Lord. Now, when I talk about the fear of the Lord, this is not some sort of cheat code that helps us look successful, okay? We're not, we're not trying to do this so then this comes down the road. The fear of the Lord is, is actually the epitome of Christian success. To fear the Lord is to be faithful to the Lord, to, to honor the Lord with all of your life. Now, the word fear of the Lord or that phrase might sound scary to some. In fact, a lot of people hear that and they want to change it and say, well, that's not appropriate language. That doesn't put God in a, in a good light. But the fear of the Lord that we're talking about is not a, a fear of harm, not a fear of danger. Um, it's, it's not a fear of being threatened or unsafe, at least not for Christians. Because as Christians, we have the Lord on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? That kind of fear, that fear of danger or harm or feeling threatened is the kind of fear that a person who's outside of the covenant of, of grace, somebody who's not yet received the blood of Christ on their behalf has because one day they will stand before the Lord. One day they will have to give an account for their life. And the only way that they can do that is based upon their own merit, their own performance, which is a terrifying thing. But for Christians, we have a different kind of fear of the Lord. It's a deep reverence. It's a fear that, that is of awe and honor. It's a fear that, that carries with it connotations of profound humility, which is caused by a startling awareness of God's holy love, which has been revealed in the person, the work of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus stood before the throne of God wearing our sin, our baggage, our brokenness. It was condemned in the flesh. And you see, you see that, and then you realize that Jesus did it for you. Right? That, that stirs a sense of wonder, of awe, of reverence for God. This is the kind of the fear of the Lord that we are called to. William Plummer says, there is no wisdom in men till they fear God. When they do fear God, that is the wisest thing they do. No man ever attains to any wisdom higher than this. This is why the psalmist tells us, 
fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's understanding, but we also see the connection here between Psalm 111 and Psalm 12, and that it also brings up the fear of the Lord. It says in verse one, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. One commentator says, as in the preceding Psalm, the fear of the Lord is declared to be the principle of all true wisdom. So here, the fear of the Lord is declared to be the source of all true happiness. And as we continue into Psalm 112, we see that that this fear of the Lord produces something in us. The fear of the Lord accomplishes something in the people of God. It's the doorway to blessedness And that blessing has many different facets. And I I wanna draw out a couple of these because as I've been studying this passage, it really lines up with with what I'm hoping for and praying for in our church in this coming year. And so I I wanna share with you some of the hopes that I have for 2023. And actually, I mean, until Jesus comes back, really. So first one is in verse one of Psalm 112, as we look forward, it says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. There's great promise there. Blessed is the man. There's happiness. There's flourishing in the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. One of my hopes for this year is that we would continue to, to be joyfully anchored, joyfully anchored, that we want to be people who delight in God's Commandments, not, not, not just a little bit, but people who just savor the word of the Lord. Plummer says this again. He says, a little love to God's commandments is not enough. We must greatly delight in them or else our imperious lusts will carry us away. See, one of the ways that we keep from being pushed away getting pulled away from God is by being rooted and anchored in his commands. That we be people who treasure the word of God in our hearts and, and build our life on it. And that's why we're continuing with this feast to flourish, going deeper and deeper and deeper into the word of God. We want to be joyfully anchored. The second thing, my hope is to be generationally fruitful. Look at verse two of Psalm 112. his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. We ought to be people who think beyond the present moment. We've gotta be people who look down the road a generation, two, three generations be people who envision a future like this where the offspring will be mighty in the land, the generation of the upright being blessed, to envision a future of generational fruitfulness and work toward it now, to make those sacrifices, to prioritize things like intentional discipleship with our kids, being here on Sunday mornings so they can either be in the gathering or be downstairs Family discipleship time, Christian education. See, we want to make our children dangerous against the kingdom of darkness. Kids that are so like us are joyfully anchored that they can wreak havoc in the name of the kingdom of heaven. 
Number three, missional piety. This sounds, this sounds kind of counterintuitive, but hear me out. You see this in verse four. It says, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. That was weird. Missional piety, here's what I mean by that. It says, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. So the, the, the upright have the ability to stand in darkness and light comes with them. They're able to push back the dark and not be consumed by it. Now, we, we just spent a couple of back-to-back days in John 1, right? The, the light of the world has come. The darkness will not overcome it. But Christ says that you, church, are the light of the world, And the way that we shine our light is by radiating the traits of God himself, of grace, of mercy, of righteousness. So so there's a sense of that's piety. We we want to be like God. We want to be God-like, Christ-like. We want to embody character that's reflective of our heavenly father. And out of that, we want to do good works so the darkness gets pushed back. So that other people would look and see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. And as that light shines, it's attractive, not for everybody. Not everybody's going to see grace and mercy and righteousness and be, oh, wow, I like that. Actually, we see at the very end of, of chapter 112, It says the wicked man sees it and he's angry with it. He gnashes his teeth. So not everybody is gonna like it, but there is something alluring. There's something attractive and engaging about Christians who embody grace and mercy and righteousness. And God uses that light to draw people to himself. So I I hope that the Lord would fill this room. People who are once far from God without hope, hostile towards God, but they experience the grace and mercy of Christ and they find themselves smack dab in the middle of a covenant community like this. And if it's not our church, I don't care. Go, like, they can go and find the grace of Jesus at work somewhere else. I wanna think kingdom-minded here. We see more people come to know the grace of Christ through the faithful works of God's people. Now, this, this next one kind of might seem out of the blue, but generosity. This is one of the primary distinctives of Christians, right? We're, we become generous because God is so generous towards us. And you see this, this talk of wealth and generosity and giving and lending, it pops up three times, which is kind of crazy in a psalm like this. But in verse three, it says, wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Verse five, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Verse nine, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted forever. I, I, I want to invite us into deeper generosity this year. This first starts by building wealth, putting wealth in your house. It's not a bad thing. It's not unchristian to accumulate wealth. 
What's unchristian is to accumulate wealth and do nothing with it that brings glory to God. And so we want to build wealth by working honestly and justly as unto the Lord so that we can support our households. And then generosity. We want to use our generosity as a means of kingdom advancement. You see, in the, in the way that this money is invested, in lending, in giving, in, in, in giving, contributing to the poor, it says his righteousness endures forever. This act has a way of establishing and building the kingdom. And so to live generously, whether it be financially, be generous with your time, be generous with your dinner table, how can you use what you have to establish righteousness? And the thing that I'm praying for the most, because it's getting rarer and rarer and rarer, it seems, in the evangelical church, is to be steadfast under fire. I see this in verse six. He says, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Listen, we don't know what will come. We, we don't know what the year holds ahead of us. It could be the best year ever. It could be the worst year ever. But regardless of what comes, my desire is that we would be a church that will never be moved. That we will be a people whose heart is so fixed, trusting on the Lord, that our heart is firm, that our heart is steady, that we will not be tossed around by the culture, that we won't let our sin run us over. And even if things get hard, which it's likely it will get hard, at least moments of difficulty and trial and tribulation, we don't have to fear because God sees us. God is with us in the midst of this. God upholds those who are falling. And because of this, we stand on the brink of a brand new year and we do not need to fear at all. We can be secure. Securely fixed in the Lord's gracious plan. Now, I, I don't know, I have no way to look forward and see what numbers or metrics are gonna look like for 2023. I mean, I, I desire to see our church grow, more leaders develop, multiply mission communities, all that, I wanna see that. Who doesn't wanna see Jesus reach further and further and deeper into our city? But regardless of those metrics, this is what success looks like in God's eyes, to fear the Lord to walk humbly before him, to think generationally, to, to have this, to uh, obtain missional 
piety, to be joyfully anchored in the word of God, to live generously and be steadfast under fire. This is what steadfastness looks like. And I pray that the Lord would continue to build us in these areas as we set to making disciples, planting churches, and renewing our city. Ultimately, God is the one who brings it growth. It's, It's God who does the marvelous works But all of this growth, all the wisdom, all the blessing that we hope to see, that we long for, it all begins with a Christian fear of the Lord. And so what I'm inviting you into this morning is out of this fear of the Lord. Praise the Lord in both directions. Look look back, take some time and catalog what God has done to bring you to where you are to remember the grace that he has supplied in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and look forward to the future, to praise him even as the future is being written, knowing that glory and grace will abound. And little by little, the kingdom of heaven is advancing. The redemption that Jesus has achieved becomes more and more palpable before our eyes in our city. And the glory of God would cover the quad cities like waters cover the sea. Let's pray to that end. Let's ask the Lord to do something like this that we we may stand here a year from now, a decade from now, and boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your kindness to us. We thank you that you have done so much Lord, and you've prepared a table for us right now to come forward in the congregation to remember the works of the Lord, the the mighty works of power that you have done. And this meal that we are about to partake in together for the first time this year boasts of your power over sin, death, and the grave. This meal boasts of the power that you implant within your disciples so that they would live righteously before you. Father, would you sustain us as we go our our way in this new year? Would you give us all that we need for life and godliness to make your name great among the peoples here? God, and we wanna see you move in ways that you have not moved before here with us to bring more conversions, that, that there would be people that come into this family having experienced your grace and your mercy. And I pray, Lord, that through us, you would do good works. These good works that you've prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Help us to bring you honor and glory in this year, Lord. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 